1: I'm Nash,
0: and this week we're going all the way from the 21st to the 27th of May. And if you haven't done it yet, make sure to check out our Facebook page, Before You Were Born podcast, because there you could win. Tell them what they can win, Nash. Um. prizes. A dinner with me. A dinner with... Okay, no one wants... Okay, you can't win anything, but it's still got good stuff in it. There goes all the traffic we had. You should check it out. Uh, Nash, what are you speaking about this week in history? This
1: week in history, I'm diving in deep as I always like to. One week, I won't dive in deep at all. I just sort of wade through into the milieu of whatever history leaves behind for us to explore. A milieu, Um, you say? Yeah, a miasma of history? I don't know. Anyway, so this week I'm sort of (laughs) frolicking through the absolute chaos that ensued (laughs) on May 21st, 1982. Because this was the day that British ships landed on the coast of San Carlos. Now, where's San Carlos? Why is it important? Who cares? please. I'll tell you when it's my turn to talk. Okay, but
0: it is my (laughs) turn first to speak, and I want to speak about the 21st of May as well, but this time, 1924. Hmm. And I want to speak about the perfect crime committed by two men. What did they do? Did they get away with it? Who really stole the cookie from the cookie jar? You'll find out right after this. So, Nash... Do you know of a person or being called God? Ah, uh, yes,
1: good old God. Good old God. Now, Hang on, which God are we talking about here? We're we talking about the Abrahamic God, or we're we talking about one of the potential millions of gods, <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: like in the Hindu tradition. Take any God that oversees the world, that is greater than everyone else, that people look up to as hope, as belief, as inspiration for their lives. Okay, so like Beyonce. Okay, well, yeah, I guess Beyonce. Beyonce could fit into this category, right? Here's, can I just say something? Yeah, I only said Beyonce because I hear so many people who worship
1: Beyonce as if she is a god. <laughs> there is only one person on earth who could get away
0: with murder, and that is Beyonce. Right? Well, yeah.
1: she could. She can do no wrong. She I, can do
0: no wrong. I would have to say that Richard Loeb and Nathan Leopold would disagree with that. Uh huh. Now, keep in mind what you thought about God and, and what people think about. God's role. Yeah. And Beyonce. <laughs> so we come to Chicago. Yeah. And we meet our our two people in this story. I wouldn't say protagonists. I wouldn't say villains. I'd say people. Okay. They're just denizens. They're, they're just... <laughs> they're not causal actors. They just happen to be there. They're, no, they're very much causal actors. I would say uh, they're okay. villains. Okay, they're villains. They're villains. You're happy they're villains. Antagonists. They're antagonists. And okay. And they're called Richard Loeb and the other Nathan Leopold. And... They're born in around 1905, 1906. Yeah. But in 1920, they're in university. You know, they've just graduated from high school. They're starting university early 1920s. Yeah. And they right. both go to the University of Chicago and become friends. Okay. As you cool. do at university. Uh, okay. Maybe not for everyone, but some people make friends.
1: Yeah, I mean that's how um, I made all my friends at uni, and also I met you.
0: That's true. I <laughs> thought you were going to be sarcastic, but. Being sincere, okay. <laughs> um, just taken aback by that. Don't know how to respond. But I will re- respond by saying that Nathan Leopold, he was into his philosophy. and specifically in university, he was into this person called Friedrich Nietzsche. Ah, Ever Nietzsche. heard of Nietzsche? Yeah. So he has this whole nihilist perspective that like life is nothing, God is dead, right? Uh... He's pretty negative. Like, there's no point to life.
1: Not necessarily. Okay. Well, well I mean, like, I, I know enough about him to know that I
0: don't know anything about him. Yeah. If that make sense? Like- it does. And we've done science in the past in our podcast. We're not going to go into philosophy because it's too hard to think about. But all we need to know about Nietzsche is that in his world, God does not exist. And therefore, man strives to be God himself. And this essentially means that a race of men will possess extraordinary abilities and intellect that allows them to be above law, above everyone else, and act as God. That's a very Mm. brief version of what is a very in-depth philosophical... Quagmire. Thing. Yeah, Yeah, quagmire. Um, So this concept, God is dead, man must be God, is called the Ubermensch, or, or Superman.
1: Not yeah. Superman,
0: Superman. Yeah. A race of humans that are above all else can yeah. act as God. Now, Leopold, uh, our friend Leopold, he is he's pretty keen on this theory. He's like, you know what? I'm one of those people. I'm super smart. I'm from a wealth family. I am an Ubermensch. I am mm. a super Superman, essentially. Mm-hmm. Also, how great is the name Ubermensch? It's pretty good. It's pretty yeah. cool. So, he actually convinces his friend Richard Loeb that, you know what, maybe we're both supermen because we're both pretty smart, you know, therefore, we're not liable for anything that we do. And we should show the world that we're supermen. Okay, so
1: this is a gross misunderstanding of Nietzsche's philosophy, like...
0: Yeah. In in (laughs) the same way
1: that the Nazis misunderstood Nietzsche as well, like... I mean, you can hear it in the philosophy that there's someone out there who's superior than all other men. It sounds very similar to the idea of an Aryan race. Yeah, you it know, does. Like, it's a bastardization of Nietzsche's <laughs> philosophy. But there's a couple of rich guys in Chicago now here who, who are think like, they're ubermenches.
0: Yeah, I reckon I'm pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I could be above the law. And so they okay. decided to put the theory to the test. Are they really supermen? Are they Please tell me they
1: run off... Like a cliff or something, or they see if they can fly. They try and run into a wall and no, they've got to see a if bank. they're
0: above the law. So uh. they do do similar things. They start doing a bit of petty theft, minor vandalism, to see if they get any media traction to say, "Hey, look, we're doing all these crimes. No one's no one's getting us for the crimes." They even go as far as doing arson, which is like burning stuff, very yeah. illegal. None of their actions gets media attention. So they media do attention. Media attention. Oh. So they do these actions. They get away with it. There's no media attention. No one even charges them with anything. And they start thinking, well, you know what? We must be Superman. Because if we're doing all these breakages of law and no one's coming after us, hell, yeah. no one even cares. We've got to do something that shows the world that we are above everyone else. We can do something that will get media attention that proves that we're above the law because we won't get caught. We're going to do the perfect crime okay now I'm sure this you're sounds, wondering what sounds, is the perfect oh, crime, and why, why are these horrible. two people that are misconstruing Nietzsche? why are they doing this i mean it's you know you know what's
1: really annoying and frustrating to me is that this sounds all too similar to our current social media obsessed. Society where people just do stuff for attention. They're mm. literally doing it for attention, A, I mean,
0: yeah, to show A, for attention, but
1: B, to see if they can get away with it.
0: Yeah. Right? And to show that they are above everyone else. It's actually quite interesting because it's a similar concept to Crime and Punishment, which is an mm. old Russian book, which is quite famous, all about it's okay to kill people if it like has no impact on the world. I don't really understand the book. It was way above my pay grade.
1: <laughs> far too many far too many syllables in the author's name.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I, you know, that was hard and the translation was a bit off, but it's it's the principle of getting away with murder mm. when it's okay to murder because you're above. Now, the perfect crime in their mind is a murder of a child demanding a ransom, getting paid out the ransom and then running away with the money. So you kidnap a kid, murder the kid, get money, get off scot-free. Now, this would prove that they are supermen. They are the uber mensch because they will not be tried for what they've done because they're above the law.
1: See, this is a strange sort of pathology. I'm not sure what their logic is. Sure, they may be above the law, but do they think that somehow when others witness their crime, they simply think, oh, well, that's cool. Those guys are... <laughs> these Uber guys Man-ish. must be
0: demigods. So. Or do
1: they think that they have some sort of invisibility cloak surrounding
0: them that prevents people
1: from witnessing their crime?
0: Well, I don't know... Z- if, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you've bizarre. seen any like Marvel films or Justice League, but when the superheroes kill people... Regrettably, I have seen the Justice League. <laughs> they don't, But they don't get in trouble for it, right? So if these guys are Superman, they can just kill whoever they want. And yeah, but people the- aren't...
1: Okay, but then I guess maybe the interpretation from their point is is that they
0: think that they're doing something that is really? just, but it seems no, as though
1: they're cognizant of the no, fact that it's
0: wrong. They know that it's wrong. And this is obviously different to superheroes mm. because they're not killing bad guys and this mm. is why they took a 14-year-old child oh my gosh. as their target. Was so this is proof, our day in history? This is our day in history. On the 21st of May, 1924, Loeb and Leopold, at the age of 19 and 18, they decide to kidnap... And murder a teenager to prove their yeah. theory. Yeah. So they've been planning this for months and finally they execute it on our day in history, in both senses of the word. They do yeah. the plan and also execute a, a teenager. Oh. They find their victim. They're roaming around the streets and they find their victim, Bobby Franks, who's a Harvard School boy, a rich little boy, yeah. teenager. Yeah. And was second cousins with Loeb. Oy. Right? And he goes, This is perfect. It's someone that's a child from a rich family that can pay us some money. Will be sweet. Now they use a car that was rented under a fake name. They kidnap Bobby, who's the child, and offer him a ride because it's your cousin. If, why would you say no to a ride with your cousin? Hey, Bobby, get in. Now the next part is a bit hazy. Either Leopold or what people think is the case, more Loeb, they hit Bobby over the head with a chisel multiple times until oh, he's dead in the car. Lay him in the back seat of the car. Yeah, oh, man, and then drive him to the pre agreed dropping point yeah. which was wolf lake which is 40 kilometers south of chicago so they dump the body they clean the car they discard the clothes they even burn him with acid to make sure that he's not recognizable i mean and- so-
1: sorry let me just jump in here yeah for uber are they're, they're doing a lot of like regular petty criminal stuff to cover their tracks it sounds as like they're not all too convinced of their supreme status.
0: Well, no, they're saying that we've covered our tracks so well because we're that intelligent that no one will ever find us. Oh, jeez. So they call the Franks family and say, hey, we kidnapped your son. If you ever want to see him again, you have to pay a ransom. Then they send a letter to reaffirm that and they send it to Bobby Franks family saying, just to reinforce what we said on the phone, we've got your son, give us some money or, you know, Bob's gone.
1: Yeah by the way he's already gone
0: he's already yeah, yeah he's already dead now before anything could really happen like the Frank family were freaking out the body was actually discovered someone stumbled across the body and these uber men weren't so uber good at at digging. uber hiding <laughs> yeah <laughs> Leopold and Loeb that already like burnt the rest of the evidence and they tried to continue life as normal they realized that someone had found the body they got told of that because they were actually brought in for questioning not officially but just unofficially Uh, but they're like you know what it's fine like we don't know what's happening we were with some ladies that night we were busy it's fine yeah yeah then something critical happens at the site where the body was found they find a pair of glasses prescription glasses now if you have a prescription you've got a specific prescription and this prescription only three people in Chicago had this prescription one of which (laughs) was an Ubermensch was an Ubermensch by the name of Nathan Leopold so his glasses had dropped out of his pocket and it had been I love this
1: idea that like one of the greatest superior beings <laughs> has inferior eyesight. Yeah, and drops mm. his
0: glasses at the scene of a crime. I'm so
1: good at seeing I just need a little help.
0: Yeah, and then also... The no t-
1: offense to people who wear glasses, but like, you know, I this mean, guy's glasses
0: idiot. are fine. There's nothing wrong with glasses. But you know what? Actually, when bench. I was a
1: kid, it was my desire, it was my hope and desire to you actually cool. get glasses. You look cool with glasses. And the optometrist, yeah. shame to say, I have 20-20
0: vision. Yeah. What a shame. <laughs> um, the typewriter was also found, right? So they had two very clear pieces of evidence that linked... Leopold and Loeb to the death
1: right like property
0: of Leopold (laughs) (laughs) no but (laughs) somehow they knew that the typewriter was owned by Leopold had the receipt yeah probably the receipt now Loeb and Leopold were then brought in for formal questioning and on the 31st of May just you know 10 days after the murder Loeb confesses he goes Leopold did it all but he killed he killed Bobby Franks Mm. I just happened to be there Mm. Leopold then also confesses and says, no, no, it was Loeb. He told me to do it. Yeah. And Leopold, he says something really interesting to his, to his attorney. He says, mm. the killing was an experiment, which I think we already knew by now. But he says... An experiment? Yeah. It is just as easy to justify... <laughs> How many
1: smacks sp- in the head from a chisel will kill this young boy? No, it's
0: if you can get away with it. Ah, obviously. So he says, it is just as easy to justify such a death as it is to justify an entomologist killing a beetle on a pin. Ugh. Yeah. So it's not great. So, essentially, they both get arrested. The perfect crime, not perfect, by any way, shape, or form, actually very imperfect and led to them being jailed. Yeah. They're not ubermenschers. It's pretty clear by now. Now, what's really interesting about this case is the trial. Now, they both plead insanity, guilty please. saying, yeah, we did the act, but we're crazy. Yeah. Let us off. Yeah. State Attorney Robert Crowe, he was very excited by this case because hmm. he goes, you know, this is a home run. I want to be governor in the future. Like, I want to move up the ranks of politics. I've got evidence linking to the murder of a 14-year-old boy. This is great. Let's do the death penalty. Show them who's boss. Show them that I make a difference in Chicago. Yeah,
1: okay. Okay, cool. So... Something happens. Something happens. It doesn't work out the way he had hoped. Because it never does.
0: No, it doesn't. Because of this defense counsel called Mr. Darrow. I was waiting for you to say, called Friedrich Nietzsche. But no, it wasn't (laughs) Nietzsche. The
1: Ubermensch himself. It wasn't him, but it was this guy called
0: Darrow, who is a defense lawyer, saw this as an opportunity to make his stake and claim as one of the best defense attorneys in America. Okay. And he does it. By a 12-hour plea. He's not playing for a not guilty verdict. He's pleading for a life sentence instead of hanging. Now, this case was going to be a clear hanging. Yeah. Right? Okay. There was evidence. It should have been the death penalty. Darrow, in this 12-hour plea, 12 hours of listening to this guy talk... Like, non-stop. Non-stop. That he seems... He argues for mm. life sentences. Yeah, right. It seems insane, right? But this defense is, is it's, one of the it's, best defenses ever given in the history of defenses is even it, better than it's the vibe of the constitution in the castle really even better than that i think is this i feel like his defense is
1: just i'm just going to try and wear these guys down
0: no his no? defense was all about how the death penalty is inhumane and ah. how can we be doing this and it wasn't actually about the the crime itself but the death penalty, and people describe it as poetry. His 12-hour monologue, essentially, better than anything Shakespeare could have written. Part, part of people say that it was rambling, but everyone knows that it was 100% effective. Because these guys, Leopold and Loeb, they don't get the death penalty, which they deserve for killing and kidnapping a 14-year-old boy. Mm. They get life in prison. Huge. Yeah, which is a crazy turn of events for... Maybe suggesting that they are Ubermensch because they only got life sentences when truly they deserve... So, in some ways, it was the perfect crime. It, not even slightly. <laughs> they, got, they ended up in jail for life. Uh, Loeb gets murdered in 1936 think... in jail and Leopold ends up oh. getting out of jail in 1958 and flees to Puerto Rico. And there's a film made about them as well called Compulsion, based on loosely based on the crime. But yeah. if it's a perfect crime... You don't go to prison, you definitely don't get stabbed in prison, and you definitely don't have to flee to Puerto Rico. So, (laughs) really, the perfect crime ended up turning into one of the trials of the century more than the perfect crime itself.
1: Okay, I see, I see, I see. Well, if I recall correctly, it was only you who called it the
0: perfect crime. Well, they called it that too. Oh, did they? (laughs) They they were like, we're going to do the perfect crime. (laughs) And they failed. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. right. They did call it that. that (laughs) So that is the tale of Leopold and Loeb and their horrendous attempt at being godlike figures and attempting to do the perfect crime. Well, from one crime to another. But what's the most strange thing about this?
1: Is that the crime that happened on my date in history, May 21st, 1982, yeah. was also committed by a guy called Leopold? Übermensch? Galtieri. Oh, okay.
0: <laughs> for the first time for
1: many years, British sovereign territory has been invaded by a foreign
0: power. So,
1: May 21st, 1982, absolute chaos, blood, terror. The fog of war setting into the cold and wet coastal terrain. A frigate ship, HMS Ardent, is sunk with 22 sailors on board. Fifteen enemy aircraft are shut down from the sky. It's May 21st, nineteen eighty-one. British forces, they make a landing at San Carlos. And we're right in the middle of the Falklands War. Actually, Mm.
0: does this have to do with Margaret Thatcher? Yes, exactly. Now, my, my, my it,
1: yeah, it totally does because yeah. I th-
0: I learned about this. Well, I didn't learn about it, but I heard that, that there was a war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And helped her get her prime ministership renewed. Yeah, it, well, you can do the whole podcast. For no, me. you can do. I'm sorry, you know, you say it so well.
1: Well, if you if you cast your mind back a few weeks ago, we did do a podcast about Margaret Thatcher. We did. Right? And for those of you who've listened, I'm preaching to the choir here, but for those of you who are uninitiated, I'm sure you have a ton of questions. I mean... Like, what is a Falkland? Like, what are the (laughs) Falklands? Britain was at war in the 80s? Yeah. What did the Falklands do to piss off the British?
0: Also, what's a frigate... What's a frigate? Yeah.
1: A frigate ship is like a... It's a military ship, but they're designed for speed. They can be (laughs) a variety of sizes. But essentially, just like a military... Like okay, they're so a big military ship designed ship. for speed. Cool. Yeah. All right. <laughs> one sunk.
0: Okay, yeah. one.
1: Well, more than one. But.
0: Okay, do you want to tell us a bit about...
1: Anyway. All the questions that we have. <laughs> so, it wasn't the Falklands themselves that caused the beef with the British, right? The Falklands is a tiny group of islands in the South Atlantic. Yes? Yes. And okay. in the 1980s... Just come back to me. <laughs> And in the 1980s, there was only about 1,500 people living there. And most of them were of British descent anyway. As if it wasn't already not a threat, there were more sheep on the islands than there were people. Like, there were hundreds like, and thousands of sheep. Yeah, like a bar bar. So, like... wow. I think in a recent poll in 2011, there was like 151 sheep for every one person on the Falklands compared Holy to v- compared to seven to one in New Zealand. So the Falklands should really have the reputation, yeah, as a sheep capital. Their
0: emblem should just be a just, sheep.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, a sheep. so it seems to have like a very small threat for Britain, mostly because Britain had a claim to the Falklands for almost 150 years until the uh, Falklands wars. In the 1980s.
0: Okay, so why did this war start and who tried to take the Falklands away from the British? Well, yeah, excellent question. For all intensive purposes, despite
1: being 8,000 miles away from Britain, the Falklands was theirs. And that last little bit, 8,000 miles away, that's really important, right? Takes a long time to defend it. Well, not only that, but there is a nation much closer to the Falklands. Mm. A nation only 200 miles away. A nation that wasn't too keen on the fact that the British were controlling an island so close to home. Was
0: it New Zealand? No. Okay. Try again. <laughs> Serbia. It, no. <laughs> That's inland, so definitely not Serbia. I don't know. No. Tell me. <laughs> it's Argentina. Oh. <laughs> we, spoke, we spoke
1: about this. Anyway, it, it was Argentina. Yeah, it's coming back to me now. So for me, this is the moment where I was like, what? ...Argentina fought Great Britain <laughs> over some tiny islands in the South Atlantic... ...With lots of sheep. <laughs> with Exactly. Over some sheep? Britain and Argentina? They just seem the most unlikely of combatants. Yeah. So Why did it happen? So, in order to understand how you end up with boots on the ground in the Falklands... ...we need to go back. An important thing to note about the Falklands... ...is that it has consistently changed hands over the centuries... So different powers have claimed sovereignty from the first documented discovery in 16... in 1690 by a British explorer. Okay. Uh, Columbus, let's just call him. uh, His name was John Strong. Yeah,
0: Columbus. Same
1: thing. Yeah. (laughs) Well, there was a Spanish occupation of the Falklands for a while. Okay. Went went from the British to the French to the Spanish. And then the early 1800s, the Argentinians briefly appointed a German merchant as governor of the Falklands. What? And the British were like... Um, we only left to go and fight In the American Revolutionary War uh, These are still our islands <laughs> And they came back in 1833 The Falklands are a bit
0: of a player, to be honest <laughs> Yeah, the Falklands ain't loyal A lot of supers. Well, they're
1: very loyal now yeah. They are very devoutly want to be part of Britain okay. But the point is, in 1833 The Brits were like, this is our island And they fortified it for themselves And it's really interesting Because history is going to repeat itself Argentina makes a claim for the Falklands and Britain's like, I I don't don't like hundred so. years later over a hundred almost 150 years later yeah wow So we're gonna fast forward a bit to the early 1970s okay in Argentina. Now long story short, we're in the middle of the Cold War here mm. So pre1976 that's that will be important in a moment the president of Argentina, Dies, right? And his wife, who we spoke about in the same Margaret Thatcher episode. We did. Yeah.
0: Because she became the president. Yeah. By default. Not very long, though.
1: No, not very long at all. Because as soon as she became president, she essentially lost all influence and power quickly (laughs) because this sort of military attache that was set up by her husband to help her run the country, they were like, eh. We want to be in power. We'll run the country, thanks. (laughs) And um, essentially, there was a military coup. Now, you might think not a great thing. No, um, generally,
0: and, generally not good things.
1: And you might think maybe there'll be some Western nations who might sort of say, hey, stop, don't do that coup, please. Yeah. Was there? No, it's actually quite the opposite because the uh, US supported the military coup in Argentina oh. because this is the middle of the Cold, the Cold War, right? War. They can't have some vulnerable state become a communist nation, right? Yeah, true. And can't military, doing that? Conservative. Well, yeah, they were they pretty far right, actually, like yeah. a little too Ooh. far
0: right. Oh, okay, so that's less fun. <laughs> but then.
1: the point is, like, it had American support. Henry Kissinger made it, made his way down to Argentina, and he's like, "Guys, hurry up, get this done quickly <laughs> before the word of human rights violations makes its way back to America. Yeah, get it done." Jeez. Okay, fair enough. So they get it done in 1976. This Argentinian military coup, and it's led by a guy called General Jorge Rafael Videla. Okay. And he becomes the president. So that doesn't last too long for him because in December 1981, he's overthrown in another coup (laughs) by our guy, Leopoldo Galtieri.
0: Right. So essentially it's a whole lot of... It's a coup party. You know what it's like? It's like if
1: you start your relationship with someone by stealing them away from their previous significant other, there's always going to be a threat that they're just going to go to somebody else. Yeah, you know, if they're
0: that type of country, that's just what they're going to do. <laughs> if it
1: is a cheating kind of country, you can be
0: <laughs> once a cheater, always, always a cheater. cheater. Unless they're a jaguar. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> Got you there. Oh, oh, God. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Bit of a bit of a, a feline joke for you, feline fans out there. Oh. Um, so what happens in 1981? We've got Leopoldo. You lunatic. I assume that he wants the Falklands back.
1: So we will
0: we'll come back What's to wrong, him. What's wrong? Cat got your tongue? Wow. Before
1: we get back to him, at the same time as all this is going on in Argentina. By the way, it's not working out for Argentina. Their economy's in the toilet. They're having a bad time. People mm-hmm. are not doing well. At the same time, in the UK, there's a similar situation brewing for the first female Prime Minister,
0: Margaret Thatcher. There is isn't Not that there's a military coup, but there's discontent. She's losing a lot of support. And I remember at this time in her presidency, she, she, she was looking like she was going to lose the election, essentially. Exactly. So... By 1982,
1: she'd been in power for three years, Not presidency, prime ministership, sorry. Yes. (laughs) So she'd been in power for three years by 1982, and she'd rolled through a number of measures to cut government spending and ultimately close failing businesses that couldn't survive without government subsidies. Yeah. Right? She's a free market capitalist. She was a huge fan of capitalism. Yeah, loved it. Now, um, this did aid her goal to, you know, put the budget into a surplus, but... Closing businesses, as we know... Makes the population a little bit unhappy. When they're losing their jobs, right? So, by 1982, that was one year out from an election. And as you said, she was not doing too well in the polls. No, she needed some jobs and growth. That's what she needed. (laughs) Yeah, her approval rating was 23%. So, she really needed a miracle to win back
0: public support. An Ubermensch, perhaps.
1: Uh, Well, a a miracle was brewing in Argentina. Okay. So, Leopold... He's toppled Jorge, the last guy, right? Yeah. And uh, he has now the whisperings of his current Navy Commander-in-Chief in in his ear. This guy's also name is Jorge. uh, Jorge Ananya, I believe. And uh, Jorge's like, look, uh, we we know the country's not doing so well. People aren't happy. Um, They're starting to realise that this whole dictator thing isn't great. (laughs) But uh, maybe we can distract them. Maybe we can win back support by
0: invading the Falklands. Right, so essentially it was two different countries that were fighting for approval and the way they were going to get it was by having more land. Well, that wasn't the narrative for the British at the first because nothing had happened yet. Okay.
1: So, but yeah, you're right. It's like two sort of PR situations.
0: Yeah, it was a defence of the Falklands by the British which also helped getting a bit of the power for Maggie Maggie Thatcher. Yeah, it would definitely become that. So with a bit of hindsight,
1: you or I, we might think... No, don't invade the Falklands. No, But uh, why would you try and fight Britain? But to Leo and Jorge, it seemed like a genuinely good <laughs> idea. I mean, there had been resentment within Argentina for almost 150 years over the fact that Britain controlled the Falklands, right? Yeah,
0: should be theirs. It's right next to yeah.
1: them. Yeah, another thing that made it seem like a good idea is that Margaret Thatcher had been cutting government spending left, right and centre, right? And... And Britain had effectively pulled out from the South Atlantic, right? And they were drawing their ships home to the to it's the cheaper. you know the British region. Definitely cheaper. So it seemed unlikely that the Argentinians would actually face Britain in any sort of conflict because it's eight thousand miles away yeah. from. Why Britain. Why would
0: Britain care? Really? Why would Britain care?
1: Yeah. So the Argentinians invaded.
0: Right, and this is our date in history. Not quite, because the invasion
1: technically begins on the 2nd of April, 1982, where our date in history is the 21st yeah. of May.
0: So, is the 21st of May when Britain re-engages?
1: 21st of May is when Britain gets its boots on the ground in the Falklands for the first time. Oh, gotcha. There's a lot of crap that goes on beforehand. So, I just... I mean, if I'm being honest... I just tried to find a date that correlated with the
0: Falklands. Right. You just I just about, to you want to talk about the Falklands. I think it's so bizarre. Yeah. Um, so Argentina, at the beginning of April, they decide to take back the Falklands.
1: Yes, exactly. So start off on the 2nd of April. Uh, they They invade the Falkland Islands and they enter the capital city, right, of Port Stanley. And they force the British-installed governor to surrender. And there was some small amount of British forces there on the Falklands, but they were no match for the for the Argentinians. Of course, you've got an
0: entire army against some sheep.
1: So this is on the 2nd of April. Now, keep in mind, they weren't expecting the Resistance. British to respond, yeah. right? So they claimed victory. They were like, oh yeah, we won, woohoo! <laughs> Good team. And while they are partying up in Buenos Aires, uh, Maggie Thatcher's like, oh hell no. Or rather... <laughs> oh hell yes this is exactly what I needed to turn
0: the tide on this <laughs> focus on something else instead of the flailing economy
1: well yeah I mean like it, it, in, here's another thing it was in contravention of international law they did invade Britain had a claim to the Falkland Islands they had a right to fight back exactly so Malcolm Thatcher's like um you know what I'm gonna send down a contingent of warships, 100 warships to take back the Falklands. Wow, that's
0: 8,000 miles to travel.
1: Yeah, they travel the 8,000 miles and by the 25th of April, they're down there in the South Atlantic, right? On Anzac Day, no less. Exactly. By the 30th of April, the British establish a 200-mile exclusion zone surrounding the Falkland Islands uh, in 82. With ships. Well, essentially what they're saying is like, If you're in this area and you're Argentinian, it's fair game. We're going to blow you up. (laughs) Okay. That's friendly. Friendly fire. (laughs) Yeah. And so one thing that was really quite controversial was that on May 2nd, the British, they sink an Argentinian cruiser with one of their submarines, right? And this was a cause for international outcry because it was sunk outside the exclusion zone. Okay. And that one ship sinking alone accounted for almost half of the Argentinian casualties during the Falkland Islands wars, over 300 Argentinians died when that ship sunk. Wow, so. that's that's really
0: bad. That's a breach
1: of international everything. Yeah, it, well, it wasn't great. I guess that's what happens in war. Sadly, you know,
0: yeah, just in terrible a war stuff over happens. A random island yeah. to get popularity for presidents.
1: Anyway, so we come to our date in history. I'm skipping over quite a bit here. <laughs> so this is <laughs> okay. May twenty-first, 1982. This is the day that British troops get feet on the ground in the Falklands themselves, this you know, the Falkland Islands. And uh thank you for clarifying. The, you're welcome. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's not all good for them because the HMAS Ardent, right? The frigate. Yeah. It sinks. Military and vessel that, for them. And those that causes twenty two British deaths, right? We speed ahead all the way with a lot of fighting, a lot of casualties to June fourteenth. Nineteen eighty-two. This is the day the Argentinian general Mario Mendez-endez. Mendez Mendez
0: Mendez Mendez. Wow, Mario Mendez.
1: Mario Mendez. He surrenders on behalf of Argentina, and the British claim victory in Port
0: Stanley. What a win for Margaret Thatcher! And then she goes on to win the election. What happens to the Argentinian president? <laughs> well, yeah. So, as, as you rightly said, it was a success mission
1: accomplished for the British. About 250 British soldiers died. Over 600 Argentinian soldiers died. Jeez. It was actually a pretty high casualty for it's these... Nearly
0: as much as the entire island population.
1: Uh, yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs>
0: it's insane. Yeah.
1: Uh, well, th- uh, only three inhabitants of the islands died. But still, that's, that's a huge loss if you only have 1,500 people on your island. Yeah, but still, that's huge. It's insane. It, 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 anyway, so as you rightly said... Worked out amazingly for Margaret, for Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher very Increased well, her yeah, approval rating. Wendy. The following year, she won in a landslide. Not so much for <laughs> the Argentinian Junta military dictatorship uh, apparatus. The president, Leopoldo, the Ubermensch. Yeah, he not. resigns on... <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty big June, failure. He resigns three days later. Wow. June 17, 1982. And the larger result for i guess for the argentina was i mean you can't say it's directly causal but it's definitely a correlation here eventually argentina would have democracy instead of a military
0: so it's a good thing in some ways it's a good imagine thing. if it went the other way around then we'd still have a dictatorship in argentina probably not even have maradona and margaret thatcher would have lost that election yeah there would have been
1: yeah that's That's a really interesting question to explore. It's some cool revisionist history, but we'll leave that one for Malcolm
0: Gladwell, I reckon. Yeah, Um (laughs) definitely have to do that. So, who owns the Falkland Islands? Ah, yeah, great question. The British. So So they just retained power.
1: No one wants it. Well, this is, like I said, this is history repeating itself. Like, in the same way that the Argentinians laid claim to the Falklands in 1833, the British were like, um no sorry yeah and they just fortify has. the shit out of it they they just they kick them out and they fortify the crap out of it so now the falklands is very heavily defended
0: by the british wow maybe in another 120 years though argentina might get restless falkland war number two i'm excited for the sequel when <laughs> it happens the sheep will win this time yeah it will be the sheep <laughs> the land of i'm the telling shame. you <laughs> well, we can only hope. Yeah. Uh, and with that, it brings us to the end of another week in history. So make sure to join us next week
1: as we take you to a time before you were born.